Hello, and welcome to the Mystic Cast, where you join Jack Stafford and Deborah Littleboy, members of the Aetherius Society, the cosmic religion for the Aquarian Age, as we break down the barriers between religion, science, metaphysics, philosophy, and mysticism, all of which are really only aspects of the self-same quest for truth. Please note, this is an independent program, not produced or fact-checked by the Aetherius Society. Today, our guest is Dr. Sharon Martin. Doc Martin, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me here. It's our pleasure. You're an experienced podcaster yourself. I've been watching you uh, interviewing many people. So if you want to interview us, I'm sure you're natural hosting. <laughs> I want to talk more about this Aetherius Society. Well, you've come to the right place. And I also want to talk about your book, Maximize Your Healing Power. What a it that was a fun book to write and really, really fun watching people enjoy it. Mm. You, you know, it's a life with, with your world, podcast. The world needs to get back to so being in the rhythm with the heavens and the earth and having spirit really be an anchor point for your entire life and get out of this technological materialism we're stuck in. And anyway, we could go on and on. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to bridge the gap today between the mystical world and the scientific world. You started out, am I right to say, you're a, you're a qualified to the hilt in the scientific world. You're a, a GP. And how how did you make the bridge yourself? I am kind of a perpetual student <laughs> and um, loved climbing the academic ladder. So um, I do have a little bit of gravitas from which to talk. I'm a physician, um, internal medicine, trained at Johns Hopkins University. So that's a decent school. I said not, not too and, bad. Uh, prior to that, I have a PhD in physiology and I was a faculty member at Emory University. Um, and I love science, unabashedly love science. But I ended up, here's where spirit, you know, dictates your life. After residency, I was looking for somewhere to go to work. And I was in the Amish country, about two hours north of Washington, D.C. And a job came up west of there in the foothills in the um, in the Allegheny Mountains of Tuscarora Ridge. And something said go, strongly said go. And I ended up in a county with 14, 13 at that time, 1,000 people. Never had a woman physician had four male physicians, two of whom were qualified, two of whom were not, who had no interest in a female physician at all. In fact, two of them actively uh, worked on trying to get me out of there. And Sounds saw, like a movie. Oh, you could, I, could, I could write a book. Saw how people were terrorized by the fear if you don't do what the doctor says they won't see any of your family um brainwashed into thinking some of these things these guys were doing was real medicine and powerless so that started that was in 1999 that sort of started 
um, my looking at what is it that patients really deserve from us? What do they need from us as healers? What does it mean to be a healer? I can throw all the science at you, but if I haven't grabbed you to be invested, if I haven't hooked you at the heart level, if I haven't activated your sense of power over your own destiny, am I going to really make a difference? And time and time again, I had experiences where patients were hungry for more. And I found myself feeling like I was on putting patients in a conveyor belt just to get the job done. And I thought, there is seriously more to this. Um, there's there's got to be more to this. Um, and I opened my book, Maximize Your Healing Power, by telling a story. May I share that story here? Because it's, it, was a, it was powerful for me and transformed my life. So I had opened a, a clinic in very rural and worked like a dog. And it was a Friday night in the fall. And um, I couldn't wait to go home. It had been a long day. About five o'clock, we're closing up. And the receptionist comes down the hallway with this worried look on her face and tells me there's a young man out front who needs to be seen. And... I was in my own mind, nothing. I was anything but charitable. You gotta be kidding me. Why does he have his own doctor? It's Friday night at five o'clock. Why couldn't he have called at 11 o'clock? What is he doing here? Why me? Whine, 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 cry, cry, cry. And sorry, the dogs are going crazy. Um, and then to, to realize that what he's here about is something psychiatric. Well, then I go into my analytical. If you're psychiatric in medicine, is are you at harm to yourself or others? If you are, I'm legally obligated to um, call the police and have you admitted to the hospital against your will. Well, here I am out in rural America, and I'm talking rural. In order to get anybody to the hospital, you have to call the state police. That would take them an hour to get there. Then they'd come and analyze it, assess it, take them. And then I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be one heck of a Friday evening. I'm not getting home anytime soon. And I'm, I am literally actively dejected and depressed. So in comes this young man with his girlfriend, she waits out in the waiting room. In retrospect, he, what I know now, and I interpret and am able to perceive now in terms of light energy, he was a light-filled being. And he was very cherub-like, beautiful golden curly hair, gorgeous face, just sweet, cherub. At that time, I was like this poor young man. He sits down and he tells me that he has vivid dreams. And I'm going, okay, again, analytical brain. Are you schizophrenic? Are you psychotic? Are you depressed with psychotic features? You know, analyze, analyze. 
And he said, and every time I have a dream, it happens. So I said, what happens? He said, what I dream about. And he said, my, I said, who do you dream about? Well, my grandmother's friends, the neighbor, the this, the that. I can't sleep. I'm worried all the time. I'm thinking, okay, he's gone manic. He can't sleep. He's up all night. Something tells me stop. So I get his girlfriend in the room and I say, tell me about this. Does he really have predictive dreams? She said, oh, yes. His whole family knows it. He, and she said, his grandmother said when he was three years old that he had the sight. And his grandmother, turned out, was a Roman gypsy. So then I'm on my next step of do what I have in my repertoire, in my armamentarium as a physician, am I going to do him any help? I call the police. I take him to the hospital. I admit him to the psychiatric. What tools are there? Sedatives, antipsychotics. Does he have something that needs fixing? Well, the answer was clearly no way. And I said, here is a young man who has perception that many of us could have, but he's gifted. He's, he can touch the other realms instantly without barrier. Why am I going to medicalize him? Why am I going to label him? And why am I going to try to sedate this gift out of him? I am not going to do, am I going to be a healer when I do this? No, I'm going to damage him, harm him. And he is not something that needs to be fixed. So voice really clear in my mind. Um, I, in, you know, later years interpreting it, this was the voice of spirit, my higher self, my soul, God, whomever you believe in. No, stop. And I said to him, I said, you're not crazy. The relief that came over him, the instant, oh, was so rewarding. And I said, what's happened is you are very open to sensing, but you haven't learned how to close it down and choose when to open and choose how to open and be in control of it. You're just getting bombarded by all the things you sense. What you have to do is learn how to be the driver of what you, when you open and what you take in. And he just, he was beaming when he left. And that began my journey to understanding how do I bring those other things that mainstream medicine doesn't bring, the awareness of our potential, the awareness of our capacities, those things that we call woo-woo that are real to me anyway, psychic phenomena, the understanding of forces in the universe bigger than ourselves. How can I incorporate that and not write people off because they have these talents? And I began by studying shamanism from the Peruvian Andean tradition with uh, the Four Winds Society and learned about how to sense the unseen world, how to communicate with forces, um, energies of the universe, how to protect yourself from 
I mean, face it, there's dark forces out there. I say dark in terms of not good. Um, and how to protect yourself from that. And that began a blending for me and an addition of power to my repertoire. Mm -hmm. uh, just a bigger, it just opened up, opened up the heavens, so to speak. Um, so I owe this young man an incredible yeah, that's a sliding doors moment. Yeah. He he was, well, he I think he was a messenger. He was a mm. gift from from spirit. Um he changed my life and started me on a path that I now study the esoteric. I study the power of consciousness. <laughs> I know that there are forces in the universe we can ally ourselves with um and that's that's rich and beautiful yes it's amazing so if that young man was to come into your office today you've studied many practices what would you tell him to control that to control that gift how could he do that meditation um learning from somebody i told him at that time to find since he had many psychic members in his Romani family to find someone who had done this for years and ask them, um, how do they do it? Um, but I would help him see how to control his thinking, how to be aware of his energy field and, uh, put up a protection, um, to be in charge of his thoughts, mm. to, to be the driver. I mean, we all are, the owner and driver of our thoughts. Sometimes we don't think we are, but we are. That's very good. Yeah, because in the society, we're also given many practices in our book about how to control the mind. And if you if you develop psychic powers or if you're born with them, you have to concentrate on kind of two planes of existence at the same time. So you have to be even more, with, with more power comes more responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's uh... So tell me, what are those two planes? Well, well, there are many planes of existence. Okay. Are, yeah, this each chakra is a realm of consciousness. Okay. So there's seven above. We're at the root chakra now. This is the root mm -hmm. chakra. Everything on this plane, and then there's four below as well. So, mm -hmm. you, when you when you die, you go to the life between lives on another realm of existence, so the, the realm of justice, and you have the experience. But it's right here, but just mm -hmm. a different frequency of vibration. Mm -hmm. And so many people who are are in touch with so we say spirit mm -hmm. have these have abilities to see between the realms or to see into time and things like that so but we cool. at the theorist society we we have many practices deborah is a good chip in here she has taken many of these practices on with we have a whole book full of them in the with the king yoga mm -hmm. without without bombarding everybody the main thing is to learn how to breathe mm -hmm. and Dr. King, our master, says that, uh, or now he might have actually channeled this through, but the, the essence is that uh, any shallow breather can't be a deep thinker because they're just so mm -hmm. they're they're just so linked. So we have a, a set of six breathing practices, of, of which, if you look, if you look at all the um, all of the, uh, the the breathing practices out there, they're over a thousand. Mm -hmm. In Dr. yoga, King, yeah. Yeah, in yoga. So, um, Dr. King looked at the Western mind, studied the Western mind, and then put together these six breathing practices, which he suggested that his followers 
incorporate as part of the daily mm-hmm. routine. And it's what the, and sort of it's the first thing you do so that you set yourself for the day. So that's the main thing. And then um, we, we are taught to understand how to channel the energy through this robot body that we have, which is a, a receiver transmitter set. And once you've actually started to, to channel the energy, it's real. It's not like, oh, look at me, I'm channeling this, I'm channeling all the an- energy and you're saying it. No, you feel it. It's it's real and you and you know that you're that you're actually channeling, which helps with healing. Mm-hmm. Um and we're taught to pray in the same way. So we're sending this energy from point A to point B through through the mind, through mm-hmm. the through the focus. And and then we step up to um, Sanskrit mantra, which again is the highest form of praying, we're told, because what we're then doing is bringing the the vibrations of, of, the that, of that ancient mantra through our bodies, through ourselves. So we're, if you like, we've all got bent out of shape, and we're bending ourselves back into shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, there are there are many more like hints and tips, but but, but if you want, that's the that's the backbone of our of our teachings. And there's no surprise really, Sharon, but if you practice it, it works. <laughs> but you've got to practice it. And it's not like doing an hour one day and five minutes three three weeks later. No, you just have to, you know, continually do it with good cheer. And I think that comes into your book where you were saying that it was fun to write because you have to do it with mm-hmm. a good heart because otherwise it, it's just not as potent. We we actually react to smiling, and you know there's something there's something that happens. So that you know without my going on and on, but that that is that's our if you want our cornerstone of of starting to develop our intuition, our psychic powers. You know, you said something that I think is uh, also key for one of the teachings, or the probably the most powerful teaching in my book there's details and practices but um that power of your thoughts because i have so many patients who believe they are their diagnosis and they believe that that is all they are going forward and to recognize that you change your thought about it, you bring in the vibration of the new future healed difference is the first step to breaking out of the cage of that diagnosis. And there are so many people who are, that takes a lot of courage, but there's so many people to give up, to give up that, I call it the merit badge of a diagnosis. You know, there's a pride, a kind of a, um, I find it a little bit twisted, pride in having a number of diagnoses that some people walk around with, um, like the pride they have if they have allergies to 15 medicines instead of two. Um, it's, there's, there, it, something's become special in that. Um, so to break out of that by thinking of yourself by bringing in a new uh, vision of the future you is really the key to healing yourself. Um, 
people don't often, they can't often shake out of that. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can fully follow that. There's almost, what do, what am I gaining by keeping this illness? And you can, I, I'm, I know myself that uh, if I look at an illness, I can see that it's had its benefits and it was worth, <laughs> it wasn't all bad. There were, there were mm-hmm. upsides to it. And it's just all this balance. You know, would I rather stay in this state and take the benefits of being in this state or do I actually want something different? Right. And, and then, and then it's the, um, the courage to, to think, will it be any better? And will, what will I be losing? Is it worth the risk or shall I just stay here? It's, and so the that, benefits uh, are not just personal. In other words, if I continue to have this leg pain, I am forced to slow down. And slowing down has really been beneficial for me. Um, it, you know, it feels good to take things literally one step at a time. But the benefits from the way you're treated by others, um, you know, you get people helping you more, so you feel more connected. There's, mm-hmm. There are a lot of, in medicine, we give it a word, we call it secondary gain, um, which makes it sound a bit devious. Um, so I, I'm not sure I love that, but there are, there are things that, um, that feel good about keeping something like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, the longer that you keep it, the more it becomes ingrained within you, um, and becomes you. And so I totally, I totally get that. Well, it's the um, ego, ego looking for identity as well, isn't it? The conscious mind having to is a is a construct, and it's constantly constructing itself. Well, when I worked as a prison officer um, for five years, and it was a fascinating job to watch how people identified with their criminal activities. Mm-hmm. And so we, because I was all about breaking that um, antisocial behavior, um, that had to have been a hard job. It was the most satisfying job I've ever had, but it 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 was emotionally draining. I'll bet, and I'll bet you had to be hyper vigilant. Yeah, because pe- people are always out to take advantage, for sure. Um, as that, that's just the nature of it, and it's, and it's always exaggerated in that environment, which makes it an ideal place to actually spot these recurring patterns and how awesome. people interact with each other. Um, and so for me, it was, it was a fabulous job, uh, and I retrained to do like the connection between taking illicit substances and drinking and the criminal activity and the the whole thing and so so for me um what you're saying i can i just totally can see it in so many in, in so many different color shapes and sizes um so how did your um people that you were working with in your practice take your newfound um methods how have you retrieved with trying to straddle those those the both camps? It took me a few years to have the courage to even talk 
destiny or a soul or um, spirit. And so I did it in baby steps because truthfully, I was a little bit afraid of being run out of the medical community. But when I did it and I took little steps, people were, their eyes, you know, wide open. Oh my gosh, she's talking about something deep that I can get. They might not have said that out loud, but you could tell they were thrilled. And when you talk to somebody about, you know, here you're in this physical condition, but where do you want to see yourself? Is this, is this what you want your life to be? To have some, well, no. Well, and what can we do to change it? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to shake up? Um, but to have people even have a doctor even ask you, is this your purpose in life? And how do I help you get to the full expression of you? Of course, I might not use those words, but that was, I think, for most people, um, revolutionary. And they love it. And to say, and then to take it, and a few people who you can tell who's really open to it or not, and a few people where you talk about the impacts they have with dark forces that they've experienced and how those might be affecting them. And oftentimes it's in their own family, mm -hmm. um, family dynamics, and to how to find protection about keeping those um, penetrating incoming foreign energies out of your field and saying that in ways that a lay person who doesn't know anything about energy fields or any of that, um, they get it. And then to bring up, well, here's a ritual you can do to clear and, and suggest a um, modernized version of a fire ceremony where you take issues to the fire and give it up to the fire to allow transformation, um, to have them see that and think about it and try it. It's like opening a door for, for possibility and people like it. Yeah, I totally get that. It's, it's put me in mind of a, of a story of a criminal um, and he would have a robbing coat. So when he was going out to steal, to break in, he would always put on his this particular coat. It was like his um, uniform that he would wear. And so, and he would always, always have a few drinks, a few two shots of vodka before he would, he would set out. So that was his ritual. So he, so he, so he felt like he'd numb the fact of anything that he might be doing wrong, and he put on this coat, which then had the same vibration. So this, like this. So in other words, this, as soon as he put this coat on, he took on that on persona mm -hmm. absolutely and mm -hmm. he would and then, then he would go and do whatever he wanted to do but he got to a stage where i think his his again his soul voice was going you've got to do something about this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and my friend um pagan witch actually took him to the beach and they burned his coat mm. and they, and and poured vodka onto the fire and he watched it all go up. 
Um, and he said that he felt the um, a, a, a lightness. The lifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So so totally, you know, it's a slightly yeah. different story, but totally get how how these energies can impregnate so many things and how habits can ingrain you and and get you stuck. Um, Yes, very powerful. People just don't realize how powerful. And how ritual and myth can be tools to help you walk forward. You know, when you see yourself as shedding the skin of the robber, and you see the fire burning it and conceive of yourself as the phoenix, the new you, um, undressed, burned, redressed. That's that's powerful stuff. Yeah. And so simple. And that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's almost like people would... Uh, disregard it as being um childish or simple too it's too simple and yet the simple things we're taught in the society dr kings and the simple things are the most potent the and more that you if you look at medicine from a medicine point of view it's free <laughs> yeah. and probably more powerful than taking a month's worth of a medicine mm-hmm. Don't tell the drug five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's get back to that, shall we? I mean, as a society, as humans, let's get back to our innate power Mm. and our ability to work with now the fire. That's working with a transformative energy of the universe, in my my thinking, when I look at the big picture of it. Um, We become harmonized with these powers these elemental forces and you're using fire as an ally and you can use thunder lightning wind um being in harmony with those and the effect that it can have on you around and around you and it's free and it's more powerful than this microcosm of technology we've worked our way into yeah i mean it's the trap isn't it the steel trap keep taking somebody a pill till and they need it and the materialistic power um seeking part of our community um thrives and we as a community and we relinquish our personal power That's what I hate. Yeah. When I've seen my classmates, I've seen my own transformation, my classmates, the uh, capacities that we've gained by studying these things are so expanding and um, enlivening. Patients, or as people, we delegate our thinking. It's easier to say oh you're the professional you're the doctor you know what's best you've spent all these years studying that is a a hard conversation sometimes for me with patients because they'll say well doc you tell me you're the doc and there's a balance between saying well yes i have the scientific expertise to see the choices ahead and understand their their outcomes 
And therefore, yes, I am better to decide, but also to put the power back in the patient's hands. So, you know, being able to educate them enough. Uh, so, I'll, you know, then I'll say, well, I'll tell you what, here are the three choices and how I see things going down in each one of them. Where do you sit on this spectrum? Well, that way the power comes back to them. But um, it is a, it's, I think it's a critical duty, responsibility for physicians to provide enough information, to educate enough. Um, and there are people who don't want to take a certain path. They may have cancer, but they do not want to do any kind of treatment. Um, and to be able to honor that, even in the fear of watching someone go under. Um, knowing they've chose it that way. Uh, that's a hard, that's a hard one for me. I always thought it'd be yeah. wonderful to have a hospital where you could walk through all the different rooms and you get, you know, there's a holistic healer, the traditional allopathic medicine, maybe an Ayurvedic doctor, a medical mm -hmm. intuitive. And if it was really about the patient, we would have these, right. have these rooms, you know, we would have these hospitals. And if there was some way to remove the financial overlay because we could create a center like that, but who has the money to go in each room and pay each person for their services? Mm -hmm. You know, are there communities where people can come together and offer that as their service to their community um, in exchange for living and food and someone else helping you with the clean, you know. We speak to many healers on this show. We have, uh, and they all have a different, they they say the same, a lot similar to you, but they often have a different tool set. You know, we just, the uh -huh. last guest was all about color healing. Mm -hmm. So, um, but bringing it back to the Ethereum Society, that we say that Dr. King said that the greatest problem in the world is spirit, is a spiritual energy crisis. And if you fix that crisis, then all the problems go away. You wouldn't need the hospitals or you wouldn't need um, to campaign against other things because it's a spiritual energy crisis. So, And he also wrote a book, a book called You Too Can Heal, which is about how everyone can channel healing energy and heal themselves and other people. Um, and that was So really he something. studied the Eastern religions, I'll bet. In the beginning, yes. He studied, he was a uh, in England in the 1950s, incredibly, he... Uh, he was a yogi, did eight hours yogic practices a day, you know, so pranayama, mantra, like serious yogi practices, mm -hmm. and eventually raised Kundalini mm -hmm. to the to the crown chakra of Shushumna and became a you know a, a an enlightened being. So mm -hmm. yeah, he was he walked the path. And for a West for a Westerner to do that is a big deal. In London in the nineteen fifties, mm -hmm. yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Because many, many, all these yogis in the past who've done these practices, they were all in a very nice location. Well, I don't want to say that they were in a mountain, in a cave, probably in the mountains. It was a bit rough, mm -hmm. but uh, mm -hmm. they were free of distractions. Let's put it that, let's put right. it that way. Whereas to do it in a city is, uh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because that's something I tell, um, I say often um, to clients or patients or friends. It's one thing to pull yourself out of society and go to an ashram and be 
free of distraction. But the majority of us, we're humans. We are walking. We walk in the swamp every day. We have to deal with bombardment of uh, energies coming in, of noise, of other people, of technological stuff. Cut yourself a break. You know, we have a hard job just being human these days. Um, and so finding tools to do that you can use, as you said, as Dr. King did in London in the 50s, tools you can use in the middle of a bustling city, that's pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you going to tell the story of the two Buddhas, Jack? Um, you please. Um, a story that Dr. King would often recite, um, and it's a story of the two Buddhas. And the first Buddha would go, became enlightened because he he locked himself away and spent all the time in a in a cave doing all the exercise, and he'd reached enlightenment. So he'd raised Kundalini. He got all of the um, was in tune with. With everything, that, that's Buddha one. Buddha two could do that at any time, could raise Kundalini at any time, could bring it back down and then work in the in the um, grime and the, um, the, the in in the city. And we're told by the cosmic masters that the second Buddha is far more um, useful and highly more highly qualified than the than the one that, that that locks himself away and in fact there's an entity called mars sector six which is one of the um cosmic masters that dr king would channel and in the nine freedoms he says that the the second type of buddha is a fool is a fool because that that he hasn't completed everything that he needs he, he needs to come back and serve the rest of humanity so that we can all raise and understand. Mm -hmm. It's selfish to do what the first Buddha did. It was okay thousands of years ago to, you know, but in, in today's, in today's society, we have a duty of care of service to our fellow man. Mm -hmm. So we have to raise ourselves up if you like, bring the insights back to the marketplace, share them out, which is, Dr. Sharon, that's exactly what you, you've been describing. That is what you, you do. Well, you know, you said something interesting, Deborah. When I was doing my shamanic training, I think it started about 2005, um, I had classmates who spent their time in uh, the shamanic rituals and the energy things, and I envied them. And I felt that they were better than I was. I felt that they accomplished more. Um, they had all of these woo-woo moments on a day-to-day -day basis. And I literally, I was furious that I was walking. I swear, I feel like I walk in the swamp every day. And I was furious about it. And I kept yearning and saying, God, why can't I become, why can't I go be, you know, just a shamanic practitioner? Why can't I go, you know? And 
never, it never changed. I still kept, you know, being a physician. I said, oh, I don't, this is too hard. And it's this, you know, and then something clicked, something happened where everything integrated. And maybe it was this young man and the journey then of uh, seeing, looking back and seeing the value of being a healer, of of actively practicing bringing well-being to every encounter, which is hard to do because there are, especially nowadays, especially out here in um, a different political mindset that I have and a the fury that came with COVID and the financial stressors and having patients be actively angry and trying to find a method of well-being. And then someday, somewhere I just realized that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, that I am no better than my classmates, nor they better than I. I am just walking in a different meadow, a grimy, a grimy swampy bayou um, with the alligators all around. Um, and I realized that they had not achieved any more fancy um, abilities did they get intuitions more quickly? Probably. Again, you know, my daily mind is in the logical, analytical world most of the time. Um, but then everything just clicked and I realized, you know, you've got to bring it, just as you said, Deborah, you've got to bring it. We're human. Bring it to exactly where you are, where you're walking now. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a wonderful quote. I can't remember it exactly, but it's from one of the the cosmic communicators that for every moment that you give up the bliss in this life, you will be many more fold in the future. Oh, good. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's what I want to remind people also. It's, I know, I know the hunger of wanting to be in those blissful woo-woo moments all the time. And the disappointment and sometimes anger at having to struggle again and again in the day-to-day world. Medicine, especially with active COVID, was not fun um, at all. But those are important places to learn how to keep your heart, learn how to bring a path of service, to keep, for me, my focus, the word is to continue to try to find some moment of well-being for the person, even if I'm telling them they have cancer. Um, so I just say to people who, you know, oh, I want to quit being such and such and go do, I want to work more with people, I want to go be a Reiki master full time, I can never get there. Well, maybe, maybe you can get there, but it's going to look differently mm-hmm. than you think it should. And that's the key, isn't it? As then you think it should. I'm a great one for 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 um oh, that's that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. When actually it should be as it is. <laughs> 
because you're working through the, the, the perfection of imperfection. Um, I think, the, was it Mother Teresa? I think it was Mother Teresa said that if everybody just was kind and helped the person in front of them, then really we wouldn't have anything to worry about at all. And if you just follow that through the whole gambit, then mm -hmm. you would get the community that you've just said, you, where where you'd have a, a room where somebody is a, is a Reiki master and somebody else that's actually digging the potatoes to feed the Reiki master. Mm. Um, mm. And mm -hmm. it's all it's all a flat playing field and we haven't got to worry about this, uh, you know, folding substance uh, that we call money. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I was just reminded of, I don't know if you guys remember, it was several years ago. I think it hit the international news. Um, there was a line in Starbucks and the one person said to the cashier, the barista, um, I'm going to pay for the guy behind me. And that went on for 280 something people until one turkey said, I'm not paying for anybody. They said, well, if you pay, we're keeping this line going. Well, it kept going for 280 something people. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, we yeah. call it paying forward. So we go into a cafe and they, they buy two, pay twice for their coffee. So there's mm -hmm. one behind the counter. Mm -hmm. Just... oh, they do that in Italy too, yeah. yeah. I love that, I love that. So I want to tell you about paying it backward because I have this expression and it's about using in our personal accomplishments and working towards being more enlightened. The work that we do energetically does heal the ancestors. It does heal our lineage. Um, and this, so the story reminded me, I call it pay it backwards. So even if you come from a dysfunctional family, don't we all, even if you have bad behavior in your ancestors, um, your work does clear that karma. And so I call that pay it backwards. <laughs> well, just to round off the interview then with any, uh, because we started, we wanted to talk about the gap between the mystical and scientific. Is there anything you'd just like to, to give the listeners about how they can, or how you bridge the gap? My book, Maximize Your Healing Power, is filled with exercises, meditations, visualizations that you can do to shift any life challenge. It's based on health, but it can be any life challenge. And the key component other than being control of your thoughts is aligning yourself with spirit and spirit comes in many forms. And I talk often about helpers. There are energies in the universe that we can align ourselves with nature, spirits, magical beings, um, devas, you know, power animals, celestial beings, Opening up to the unseen world, the world of spirit, is critical for gathering allies and power for your transformation. And my book is filled with that, um, how, to, how to do that, how to connect. 
The other thing is um, when you buy the book and you buy it on Amazon or Inner Traditions or Barnes and Noble, if you take that order number to my website, which is drsharonmartin.com, drsharonmartin.com, there's a page about the book. Put the order number in and you download all these freebies. So there's freebies to be had, which I love. <laughs> Wonderful. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yep. Okay. When well, people can learn more about you at drsharonmartin.com. And you have a YouTube, you have a wonderful podcast as well. You interview many other healers and people can follow you there. And if people want to learn more about the Ethereum Society, please go to the website, ethereus.org. All right. Thanks very much, Sharon. It's been great. Oh, it was wonderful meeting you guys and hanging out with you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Thank you. Bye now.